0: Well, take your Bible and turn to uh, Psalm 90. I'm going to turn this a little bit if I can. Rob, can you help me here with this? Yeah, I I want to turn it to the side so I can maybe, yeah. I still want to use it, but I I don't want to, yeah, maybe like, yeah, maybe that way, just a little bit more, Mark. Yeah, very good. All right. Faithy likes it so much more when I do this. So she said, who's going to move that tank of a pulpit there? And I said, well, I might. And she said, well, I hope somebody does. <laughs> so anyway. Well, I want to I visit uh, this week and maybe the next week or two a couple of old friends. You know, I, I view the Scriptures as, as uh, friends. Do you? Uh, I mean uh, Peter and, and Paul and John and David, Moses I mean, they've been companions for a long time on this journey called life. And uh, I want to go back and visit a couple of these, and then to just tell you where we're headed, we're going to go back and revisit, pick up our study of the Gospel of Luke uh, in a few weeks, and look at that. And you might want to begin your study of that again in Luke chapter 7, as uh, we'll begin that in a few weeks. But today, because of the new year, I've entitled the message, Time in a Bottle, Psalm 90. Uh, I often remember my uh, swim coach uh, when I was in my uh, uh, middle school years and early high school years. Uh, in those days, if you're an athlete, you did all kinds of sports. Today, you have to specialize, right? So we did baseball, did track, did uh, wrestling, did swimming, did football, whatever the season was now, right? And that's sort of what you did. And uh, we did that. And, then, and our swim coach uh, Uh, had a long sign, about 12 inches uh, in width, and about 20 feet long, ran along on the wall on the side of the pool, never forget it. Uh, He said uh, on that, and it was there all season, our opponent is not the other team. Our opponent is the clock. I thought, boy, that's that's good. Now far more than what Coach meant on that, as we tried to work out every day as if it were a swim meet, was that we're racing against the clock. I thought, what an apt introduction as we think about Psalm 90 and Moses who talks about time and now a brand new calendar year uh, and and time. Last uh, January, uh, we were saddened uh, in 2010 to receive a phone call that Faithy's only brother, Unexpectantly, though he had some medical issues, that Paul had uh, died in his sleep, and, and God's sovereign grace had taken this dear servant of the Lord, the one who loved the Lord. He had been a pastor, businessman and pastor, and had taken him home to glory. Just uh, It's hard to believe it's been 12 months. We go like, wow, wow. You know, our opponent is not the other team. It's time. You don't know when it's, it's all over, and God says, that's it. You know, he's already ordained your days, every one of them. Before we lived one of them, we'll look at that in the coming weeks, Psalm 139. Wow. I think about it. Do you do that when the calendar flips, and then near the end of the year, they put the, in Time Magazine and some other places, uh, those people that died during the year? And you look through that, and I miss some of them. I look for it, you know, I read the papers. And I miss someone, I go like, oh, I can't believe he died too. They're gone. George Steinbruner, right, the owner of the Yankees all those years. Some of you are Yankee fans. Jerry's not a Yankees fan. But uh, Steinbruner, right, bought the Yankees and ran it like a tyrant, right, all those years. Uh, George said there, and a few years ago he said, uh, I give heart attacks, I don't have them. And George was at a funeral not too many years ago, and he passed out. And he said, what's happening to me? He was fearful. And then George died. Hardly even knew who he was from what I remember reading. And he died. The great and the small on this planet of extinction. Die. Listen, this is not the land of the living. This is the land of the dying. Open your eyes and look. Do you read the obituaries? I, I glance at them most every day. Someone said to make sure you're not in there, you know. But I do look at it to see what people put down by way of, they wrote their own or their family wrote it, in three or four or five paragraphs, the description of their life. A lot of times I look down, where were they born, where they lived, how old were they, you know, their picture. Don't you love some of them? You're like, they're 90, but they put in their high school picture. You're like... Or some will we put two in. You know, I like that. You know, they put in when they're 18, and then when they're 98, you know, like, ah, oh, something's happened here, you know. <laughs> but you look at it, and I, I always look to see if there's a church affiliation. I look if there's praise to God and that kind of thing. And uh, about three or four or five paragraphs, maybe. Some are longer. Some run multiple days. But, you know, the longer you're gone, the shorter it gets, You know, it gets shorter and shorter. You ever look at that encyclopedia of someone who died was really well known? A few years later, and later, and decades later, there's always like, there's like a little caption, that's it, and pretty well, you know what? It's your tombstone that your life is really nothing more than a hyphen. You're born, hyphen, that's your life, and the day you died. Boy, it's going, going, and gone. It's like the old baseball, right? And yeah, when I was a kid, went to the Bison's game, and they hit, hit it deep and far, and he goes, you know, it's going, going, almost gone. And uh, that's life. It's a good reminder for us in this wisdom psalm to consider these things as we quickly move through life, and now another year. I mean, even when I was writing this a week and a half ago, I was getting sicker by the day. <laughs> like, oh, here I'm writing about sickness, frailty, Weakness, death, and I'm like, uh, got my head on my desk. I don't know if I can finish writing this. Lord, is this instructive? I don't know what this is. you know. Oh macaroni. And then, and then, and then, last week, and you and some of you would be a surprise for this, my good German pastor friend. Remember Michael Landau was here? Remember when Michael was here last year, and he came up, I had him come up share testimony. He said he's so encouraged to be here at grace. And that meant another church like it where there was transparency and open, and it wasn't formal and staid and stuffy and all that. Do you remember him, the little German? Uh huh. We got a we got a uh, email. Pray for Michael. He's in the hospital, and we don't think he's going to live. He's not even fifty. Here you know, I'm writing this sermon. I'm getting sicker. I get the email from Germany. Michael may be dying. He had a ruptured colon, and. Uh, the infection spread to his blood, and it, there was, his blood was poisoned by it. And he was on a ventilator. And uh, pray for Lee and the kids. He's the key man in the evangelical churches in Germany today. And I go, Lord, you can't. So we began to beg and cry out to God that God would spare his life for his glory. And uh, didn't know if he would make it or not. And I'm here to tell you today, I read the email today, that Michael's off the ventilator. He does, he's not yet to himself, uh, but he's on oxygen, and they give every indication they think the, that he will survive. So God was gracious. Here's a man not even 50. Not even 50. Wow. Passes quick, doesn't it? Man. Man. Going, going. Almost gone. Wow. Well, Time in a Bottle, how about that? In the 19, early 1970s, uh, singer and songwriter Jim Croce, some of you remember that, some of you are as old as I am, remember he produced this best-selling hit, Time in a Bottle. And in this song, uh, he longs for the ability to save time because as he sings in his lyrics, there never seems to be enough time. He punctuated his song in 1973 in my, in my early college years with his own death at the age of 30. He was leaving Louisiana. He had been in a concert at a university. He and five or six others of his band, he had just moved to San Diego and was flying, and the plane crashed, and he died. Punctuated, time in a bottle. In fact, I have the lyrics. Some of you could sing it. I know, Roger, you know all the lyrics of yesteryear. (laughs) But uh, he wrote in the song, If I could save time in a bottle, the first thing I'd like to do is to save every day till eternity passes away, just to spend them with you. If I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day like a treasure and then again I would spend them with you. But There never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know, I won't sing it, (laughs) I, I could break into it, that you're the one I want to go through time with. If I had a box just for wishes and dreams that had never come true, the box would be empty except for the memory of you. Oh, how they were answered by you, but... There never seems to be enough time to do the things you want to do once you find them. I've looked around enough to know that you're the one I want to go through time with. Well, that's crochy Wow. Well, I had yesterday on your sheet, but uh, recently we moved into a brand new year, didn't we? I wonder how many joys will we experience this year. Life has them. Aren't you glad for them? Rejoice in the time of joy. Make much of them. There are not many. There really aren't. Celebrate. Act silly on your birthdays and anniversaries. Don't be ho-hum. Celebrate graduations and birth of babies and granddaughters and good news and promotion. There's not a lot of that. Just, just act silly and rejoice because it's of God. Every good and perfect gift is his. Make much of it. Celebrate. How many joys will there be in the year? And then on the other end, how many tears? How many sorrows? How many groanings? How much mourning? For life has that too, doesn't it? It's all mixed together. We rejoice with those who rejoice, and we do. And we weep with those who weep, and we do. And that is life in this fallen world of ours, is it not? Is it not? And Jim did so great last week. Thank you, Jim, for preaching in my weakness in lieu of that. Preaching on redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And it dovetailed beautifully with the message God had for today. I thank you, Jim, for that. Wow. How many tears, how much joy. God's servant Moses knew something of uh, the passage of time as he led that rebellious nation. 101.5 million people or so through the wilderness, 38 and a half years. The longest funeral march in history, the book of Numbers. You, 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 you're going to die in the wilderness. We're going to bury you here. We're going to give the holy land to your kids. You're going to die here. Hundreds and thousands of funerals every day. Just take the numbers and divide it by the number of days. Funerals all the time, all the time, all the time. But the wages of sin is death. Death. We live in a world of Extinction. Death and lost and tears and suffering. Moses was well acquainted with that as he led and waited for the older generation to die off. Now Moses wrote Psalm 90, our focus for today. I believe he wrote it near the end of his life. I think the context is maybe, maybe Numbers 20, a very sad chapter in Moses' life. For in that one chapter, you might remember this. Tuck this away in your memory. It opens with the death of Miriam, his sister. Remember, she's the one that looked out for him when he was in the bulrushes. Remember that? She dies. A few verses later, same chapter. Aaron, his brother, he dies. And in the same chapter, I'm sorry to tell you, he strikes the rock the second time, which was Christ. And God pronounces that, you will die and not even enter into the promised land. So it's a very sad chapter uh, in the life of Moses at number 20, and it's often guessed that he wrote this psalm uh, as the context uh, of, of, this, uh, of this psalm. And so since Moses wrote this psalm, it's the oldest song uh, in the entire Bible. Uh, he uh, wrote it around uh, 1450, 1500 B.C., 15 centuries before Jesus. In this psalm, it's a prayer. It's in this wisdom psalm, a prayer wherein wherein he asked God, uh, the Lord, for help. Well, it breaks down into two easy parts, verses 1 to 12, and I call that uh, the first part. There, There are two essentials as we quickly pass through life. Two things. Uh, that uh, you and I need to walk away with this as we love the Lord and serve Him. Uh, for both of these two essentials should drive us to stay focused and to dwell upon the Lord in this new year, year of, of uh, 2011. The first one, verses 1 to 12, the first essential, is that we must have a firm grasp upon the absolute brevity of life, the brevity and the uncertainty of life. It's it's imperative that we do that. Now, the Lord, uh, in his sovereignty, had me face the reality of death and loss at an early age. I don't know why, except that uh, it's a wake-up call, isn't it? It's a sobering thing. You live on thinking the fairy tale, and they lived happily ever after, the sooner you realize that's a lie in a fallen world, the better off you're going to be. The sad reality is, is that life is going, going, and almost gone. And for us to grasp that, get a handle on it, and live in light of it, seeking the wisdom that God gives. The Lord gave me uh, an awareness of that, and I've told you before, with, uh, with death on many sides in my young family. I remember when my grandfather died in 1962. My dad's dad died of a heart attack the day before my birthday. And, you know, when you're seven or eight and you're trying to get a grip on death and loss, and you you remember that awareness? You live life and you don't know anything for years. You're sort of happy, right? Someone changed your diapers. I was there, I, I don't even remember one of them. My mother was there and fed me all those Gerber food and all the rest. I don't know anything about that. And you come into a certain awareness, uh, and all of a sudden you come to a point where you realize, well, where's Grandpa? Oh, he died, and why is Dad crying? Oh, loss, you mean, that? what's death? What's that, you remember that? I remember that. And uh, and then it wasn't too long after that, that Debbie, who I used to walk to elementary school, at around, that was the day where you walked around the corner, uh, she no longer could come to school. She was sick, and and in third grade, her mother came to school, brought the treats for Halloween, and told us that Debbie had died. I got what? What? Can't be. Kids don't die. That's that, that, in, in the realization of that. The uncertainty of it. Even even children die, and old people die, and life is uncertain. and And it began to sink in. and all the while, my father was unsaved, and uh, uh, though he supported my mother, never went to church, uh, but my, made sure we were there, and the tenderness that God opened my heart to realize that we are sinners of loss, and judgment is ours, and I began to hear the wonderful news of the gospel, and God saved me at a tender age. And, uh, and as time went on, I began to see death and loss and suffering and sorrow, and That's life in a fallen world. That's life in 2011. And so we need to rub our eyes and get the sand out of it, and we need to get the the rose-colored glasses off and look at people around us. We're all immortal beings going in one direction, to heaven or hell, and that's it. And soon it's going, going, and almost gone. And so Moses, seeing all this death and all these funerals, says, listen, the the first essential is you've got to get a grasp. You have a real grasp on the absolute brevity and uncertainty of life. You must. You absolutely must. Jim Croce did. And so must you. Well, notice the text. In verses 1 to 6, Moses tells us that there is an infinite difference between our life and God's existence, you know that. Look at verse 1. Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new by evening, it is dry and it is wither. Moses tells us that there's an infinite chasm between your life and mine, and we know that, don't we? Yeah, God is, uh, is, is what? He's eternal. From everlasting to everlasting. Remember your timeline in history, junior high history? You know, you do the timeline, oh, do we have to learn the dates? When George Washington, and Jefferson, and and, uh, whatever, right? The timeline, that's God. The timeline in math class, infinity that way, infinity that way, that's God. Think about that. That'll burn out your circuits. No beginning, no ending. The child asked, who made God? The answer is, God has always been. He's the eternal I am. He's the great one, glorious always been but not you not me we we sort of just got off the bus right bus stop is a hospital for most of us unless your mother didn't make it there while giving birth we sort of just arrived it, it kind of gulls me a little bit when people just arrive they only been around a little bit they can sit in the classroom for a while and make such grand uh, statements like there is no god thank you for that boy you're brilliant Sit down. Thank you for that opinion. (laughs) Believe me, God's not impressed by that. Everlasting to everlasting. Think how long, how much you could learn if you live forever. I mean, if you've been around forever. When my father died at 54, I thought so much died with him. So many things he had skills in that I don't have that died with him. But if he lived to be 500, think how he could develop those and pass those on. God had no beginning, no ending. What a huge difference. God is not vulnerable to the passage of time. He doesn't get older. We talk about ancient of days, and that's biblical terminology. He doesn't get older. He doesn't look older like we do. We're under the sentence of death, Genesis 3. We age. little powder here, a little stretch there, a little surgery, Right? A little fat in the lips? Boy, I don't understand that too much. But uh, <laughs> pucker, I guess you get more pucker power with that kind of thing, right? And then they take it off your behind, I hear. They were doing that, and are like, holy cow. Boy, that's desperate, right? But God is not subject to the uh, ravages of time like like we are. They say it's gravity. If you got sakes, it's just God's law of gravity and all the rest. And we use a little bit here and a little bit there, but uh, uh, it's uh, pretty well hopeless. Unless you stand on your head and kind of try and reverse it. Don't try this, kids. Don't try that at home. But uh, rather, uh, rather, look at B. God has been the dwelling of his people through all the ages. God is the great golden gate throughout all the spans of time. Have you ever seen the golden gate? It's so beautiful. San Francisco Harbor with the fog going up. God is the great golden gate spanning the ages of time of his people. And and, and that is a statement of confidence and assurance that Moses utters here, and I'm grateful for it, Uh, for God has provided his help, and we desperately need it through time. Wow. B, by contrast, in verses 3, 4, and 5, our life is puny, frail, and short. 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 Moses, and I remind you, also wrote Genesis. And he says, so remember Genesis 3, he points back to it here in Psalm 90, when uh, he had written that God had said to Adam and Eve, don't eat of the tree, and the day you eat it, you will die indeed. You will die. And uh, and as a result of that, um, God has said here in our text in Psalm 90 to turn men back to dust. It's an actual... Uh, historical event, the fall of Adam and Eve. There are liberal theologians that deny it, that say it was uh, you know, figurative language. He's trying to describe something. After all, uh, anyone educated knows we came from apes and monkeys and tadpoles and that kind of nonsense, which is rubbish, pure rubbish. you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You will die indeed. It actually happened, the historical time fall of Adam and Eve. He's the first Adam. Jesus is the second Adam, Romans 5. And that's what he points back to. And uh, we, uh, you know, we can always count on Here's a side application. You can always count on God's word. Always, always, always. It's good to know that in 2011, that God doesn't change his mind. He's not going to come up next month with a, oh, hey, listen, let me give you an updated version. I didn't really mean this here. (laughs) What God says is he can write it down. And the day you eat, you'll die, and we are his children, sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, of one race, one race, many people. And and uh, we all have an expiration date. Now, I'm glad it's not stamped on our bottom of our heel, aren't you? You'd be like in a mirror saying, well, what's the date of, oh, let me see that in the mirror. You wouldn't want to know anyway, would you? Would you stay home in bed that day, right? <laughs> but we're all subject to death because of it. It's a dying world. It is. And Moses is pointing back to just that. Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. God is carrying out the first threat ever heard by human ears. First threat. The obituary in the paper today and always is a reminder that he's carrying it out. And it marches on. It marches on. And it's right. Our shortened lives are likened to the new grass that grows in the morning in, in the hot climate of Israel. It rises in the morning after rain or dew. It rises quickly, and then it dries out. It's dead, and it's gone. Well, B, Moses tells us the reason why life is short 7 through 12 we are consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities. There's a key. There's a clue. Circle that. Our iniquities before you. Our secret sins. There's another clue. That's the reason why life is short and brief and uncertain. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. That's a sigh. That is a sigh or a moan. And uh, that's a uh, that is a good expression of our, our weakness and frailty and weariness. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but notice life here in a summary statement. Trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Fly away means death. We go to be with the Lord if you know Christ. I love that when our band played Fly Away, and brought the, uh, the roof down uh, a number of months ago. Fly away, fly away. That Southern Gospel song really expressed someday we're going to fly away. And those words come right from Moses right here. Well, he tells us why life is short. The problem is sin. Sin. In your life and in mine, we're born with it, a human nature. That's also tainted by a sin bent. Uh, And we we give it to, uh, we received it from our parents and we give it to our children. And our children sin because uh, we gave them something more than blue eyes or brown eyes or dark hair or whatever skin color, personality and giftedness and ability. They have sin natures. The fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. Sin is our problem. That's our great problem. Your problem is not your personality, though some of you need an adjustment with that. Your problem is not that you need a better job or a job. So some, some of you yearn for that, and that's okay, and pray about that. Your problem is, is, that, is not that you can't shoot a three-point shot. You wish you could. You know. Uh, your problem is not in any of these things, right? Or the pimple on the end of your nose. I remember when I was in seventh grade, that was the biggest problem I had in all the world. <laughs> I got a big problem. I don't feel like going to school today. I'm growing something else here. I remember that. that was, that's not your biggest problem. You and I, big, our biggest problem is sin. Sin. We don't hear much about that anymore. We, we hear things like the book that's titled, I'm okay, you're okay. And I want to say, not. It's not true. Don't believe it. That's satanic. Just imagine if Satan could fool everyone to think that. They'd never see their need of Jesus. Never be saved. I'm okay. Won't it be great? We'll all go to heaven. Not so. Few be it that find it. Narrow is the way. It's through Christ and Christ alone. Are you in Christ? You better be. You're a sinful man or woman. You need to be saved. You need to be saved. Sin's a problem. And in our iniquities and secret sins, Moses right? God knows them all. God's world, uh, I remind you, is a moral world. It's not just a physical world. God's governance in his universe is moral. We saw it with Satan when he was cast out of heaven the universe, moral, what he did was wrong. Pride. And on earth, in our hearts, it's a moral world. Moral, where where right is right and wrong is wrong, and they'll always be that way. Forget the mush that's pumped out in the culture, and the universities. Oh, you don't know what's right. That's right for me. That's not right for you. That's nonsense. That's pure mush. See through that. Cut through the fog of that. What's right is right and wrong is wrong because God has established it. It's a reflection of his holiness and of his righteousness. In God's world is a moral governance. And we live in a world that's very unholy, filled with iniquity. Isn't that right? It is. We finish our years with a moan, he says, a sigh. That's a short expression of weariness, weariness. Weariness weariness. My mother's going to have a birthday this week. She's going to be 77, 77 years old. My mother, she's getting shorter each year. She's about about four foot, I think she's 4'10 now. She used to be 5'2. I don't know what happens there. Getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Uh, She still has a lot of vim and vigor, but uh, she told me uh, she's giving up the election Uh, She uh, is a good uh, citizen and worked the election poll booths, the the election booth uh, for election day. I can't do it anymore. It it wore me out for three days after. I can't do it. I'm weary, I'm weary. Weary. Seventy or 80 years if you have the strength. Weary. Weariness. Tired. Weary. Ever been so weary you just can't get out of bed? We're, I was thinking about that weariness. I, there have been times you know, when I played sports and days gone by where I was just absolutely, totally and utterly spent. Can I tell you one day in my mind that's forever locked there? In my mind, it's gross, so don't listen to it if you don't like the idea. But uh, on the wrestling team, I was out wrestling on the mat. This was high school, not college. And I was totally and absolutely spent. I think I went overtime. Um, two one minute overtime with uh, my opponent, and when it was over i i, I you know what i don 't even remember if I beat the guy, but i I remember that. some of you don 't know that on wrestling teams they have a they have a bucket for water there, and you 're like dying uh, to get a drink when it 's over, and a lot of times you come staggering off the mat unless you 're in tip top shape, which I obviously wasn 't at the point. You get the ladle and you start drinking it. But some of you won't know this, but at least on our team, we also had a second bucket. (laughs) Some of you know where I'm going. And that's called the spit bucket. Yeah, it's gross, really. And uh, I came staggering off the mat, leaning to try and get to the side. And I kind of went right for the bucket and I just craved a drink of something. And what it was tasted like clams, and oysters, and I didn't realize it. To the manager, in his horror, came running over, and shouted my name. What are you doing? And I was grossed myself out that day. And I'm surprised Faith kisses me to this day. I'm in trouble now. She's just <laughs> absolute and total weariness. That's our life, you know. Absolute weary. Wow. That's what Moses is saying. Life in a fallen world. All because of sin. It's hard, difficult, brief, under wrath, weariness, and trouble. Well, the solution. What's the solution? And three, we must understand our condition. What? Brevity and uncertainty of life. And live according to the wisdom that God alone gives. There's more wisdom in the house of sorrow than there is in the house of a party. As much as we love parties, right? Well, how do we do that? How do we get this wisdom that God alone uh, gives us? We do it by what he says in our text in verse 12. uh, Lord, teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering our days. One man writes, don't you love this? I have it on your sheet. Of all the mathematical disciplines, the numbering of our days is the hardest. Some of you took algebra two or three times. Some of you took (laughs) geometry, still don't know what they're talking about. Some of you are in calculus. I'm still trying to learn that. i got a course I'm working on. But as hard as those may be, the hardest day, the hardest mathematic uh, discipline, and he's probably right, is the numbering our days, recognizing there's an end, and to use each day according to the grace of God to be God's servants, disciples, lovers of Him. That's what Moses is saying here. So, A, recognize the brevity of life, recognize it. Your life is short, going, going, it's almost gone. And second, live each day for the Lord Jesus. Live it as if it were your last day on earth. You don't know it may be. I've had all sorts of phone calls. Quick, come to the hospital. Wow, it may be your last. Live it as if it were your last. For one day soon, it will be your last. Isaac Watts uh, wrote in the his uh, great hymn, O oh God, our help and ages past, based even on the sum. Uh, O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne still may we dwell secure. Sufficient is thy arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame. From everlasting thou art God, to endless years the same. A thousand years in thy sight are like an evening gone. Short is the watch that ends the night before the rising sun. Time, time, like an ever-rolling stream, bears all who breathe away. They fly forgotten as a dream dies at the opening day. O oh God, our help in ages pass, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last, and our eternal home. Praise the Lord for that. It's going, going, gone. You know, there was a study done on time usage, and it revealed this. The average 70-year-old man, you wonder, where, what have I been doing with my life? Here it is. Here's what you're in the midst of. This is the average now. You know that you spend 24 years sleeping? 24 years sleeping. You might want to check out that mattress. You're going to spend more time on that. 24 years you spend 14 years working, eight years in amusements, six years at the dinner table. How about that? Hey, you're right. I like that. <laughs> Five years in transportation. Sue, that's a year longer than that. Steven? Yeah. Uh, four years in conversation. That's got to be an average. Uh, that's for, it's an average 70-year-old man. Women probably be twice on that one, right? Eight years. Am I right? Don't woo me. You know that's right. (laughs) You know what? Women, 12. 12. (laughs) JT, that's right. We're a little low. Only three years in education. All those years, you go like, no, no, but put it all together. Only three years. And then two years in study and reading. Wow. Man. Well, the second essential, verses 13 to 17, as we quickly pass through life, not only must we have a firm grasp on the brevity and certainty of life, we must... uh, Plead for God's help in life. And here's the thing, so that something of our brief and frail life will endure at the sands of time. And so Moses pled for God's compassion. That's his mercy. Look at it. Verse 13, Relent, O Lord, how long would it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servant, your splendor to to their children. And finally, he prays, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so Moses pleads for God's compassion. This is our only hope, his mercy I mean, for anything to, uh, to, to last in, in our life. Because uh, if, if God doesn't do this, our lives will be like sandcastles at the Jersey Shore. You know, you work for hours with your kids and you build the sandcastles and tide comes in and a few hours later it's washed away and it, there's no evidence that you are ever here, ever. And that's your life. If God doesn't do something, they give it significance and endurance and permanence. And Moses, who sees death all over the place, cries out, Lord, please give us your compassion and mercy. Visit us with a song and joy. And may your favor rest upon us and establish the work of our hands for us. If you don't do it, all is lost. And so he pleads for God's help in this life. Satisfy us in the morning. Maybe it refers to our youth, that we might live for him all our days and love him with all our heart, our soul, and our strength. Ultimately and finally, the satisfy us in the morning points 15 centuries later to that garden tomb on that early morning. And all is a result of, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. That's the ultimate fulfillment to this, that resurrection morning on Easter, right, with our Savior. Well, in showing compassion, the Lord returned our sorrow into joy. Don't you love that Psalm 30? Uh, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. God alone keeps us occupied with gladness of heart. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. I just want to remind you of these great words. This is, this is what God's will is for you and I as we love and serve the Lord. Then uh, Solomon writes, Then I realize that it's good and proper for a man to eat and drink, enjoy that, and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor, your work, under the sun during the few days of his life God has given to him, for this is his lot." Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, be happy in his work, this is a gift of God. For he seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him, look at this, occupied with gladness of heart. Even in a fallen world that's filled with sin and broken loss, when God gives favor and grace and mercy, we can be happy in Jesus. It's so wonderful, really. The world doesn't understand. They think we're smoking something or something. <laughs> How can you be happy? And there's a happy and a joy and, and loving and serving the Lord, and, and, and particularly in the year 2011. Eating and drinking, working hard, finding enjoyment in what we do. Loving our wives and our children, serving Him. And God keeps us occupied. We don't even notice the days of our life. They just kind of go by, but there's a song in our hearts, what he's saying. Even amidst the tears and all the rest, God gives a song in the morning, Psalm 30. I'm so grateful for that, so thankful. Wow. This means that nothing will satisfy our hearts except the Lord, nothing. Not pleasure, have you learned that? That's a blip on the screen. Not things, that's a blip on the screen. Gotta, 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 gotta have it, gotta have it, gotta have it. Three weeks later, we throw it in the corner, right? It's in the closet, and pretty soon it's out the door. (laughs) It's Not that. It's only the Lord. It's only Him. Focus on Him. Serve Him. Dwell in Him. Psalm 90. And be in, in view of the frailty and the shortness of life. We, like Moses, must ask the Lord to give us His favor. That's His help. His help. Or else all our activity will amount to nothing. If not, the work of our hands, as I said, will be like sandcastles at the beach. The tide will erase any evidence that we ever were. You know, even great men are forgotten in time. You think, oh, no, people never forget this great person, man or woman, and in time, the sands of time, and they're all but forgotten. You know there's one who never forgets? Aren't you glad of that? That's the Lord. He never forgets. He never forgets. The little things you and I do in serving him. Never. I was reading the end of, <clears throat> of uh, Paul's writing in Romans this week, Romans 16. He gives a whole list of people, a whole bunch of names. I, it's hard to pronounce them. They're Latin names. And uh, you read them and you go like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Who's this woman? Who's that? You have no idea who these people are. But well, what a great thing to have your name put in the Bible. Wouldn't that be something? Jim, your name's in there. James, you're... Good for you. My name's in there, too. Did you know that? Terry and Wade. <laughs> I'll take it, you know. We don't know who these people are. But God never forgets. He never forgets, and He rewards and honors their His people. Isn't that great? And so we, each of us, need to pray, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us because of the brevity and shortness of life and the wisdom that God gives that something would endure and last beyond our few short years. Oh, God, establish the work of our hands. I pray for that. I pray for that in my kids' life, my grandchildren's life. I pray for that in your lives as pastor, I do. For our, our, our witnesses at church, and when it's all said and done, it'll be once said that here was a people that love the Lord and love the Word and love the gospel, and served Him with all their heart and life. For God was their dwelling. Amen. In this journey called life. Before I close with lessons, a number of years ago, my daughter Sarah, my beautiful daughter, wrote this little essay. Uh, She entitled it Along the Journey. She wrote it when she was in college. And uh, I got a copy of it here. She she writes... uh, uh, 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And now she writes, based on that, along the journey. As an alien, an, an alien is something that does not belong. You know, it's like a fish out of water, like a mountain climber in Kansas, like real mail in your college mailbox. In theory, it belongs there, but it hasn't been reproduced in actual life. Aliens are like the godly submerged in a God-hating world. On this earth, there are two groups of people who share the same blue waters, breathe the same oxygen-rich air, and see the same sunrise every morning. In hatred, one group pierce Christ's body to a raw wooden cross. The other embraces the wounded Savior as the risen Lord. They have no alike desires, no shared hopes and dreams, no unified purpose to living. They are two groups who are so different, so divorced in meaning and purpose. Strangers are those who pass through the unfamiliar. We pass by strangers every day. Whether it's at the grocery store, in the mall, or at work, we rub shoulders with many people for a brief period of time. They are not permanent parts of our lives, and the same is true of us. We are not permanent parts of this world. We rub shoulders with this world, then virtually moments pass, and we are swept into eternity, to our home, to where we do belong. This is not home. We're travelers stopping at gas stations to fill our empty tanks with gnaw- and gnawing stomachs. We rest just briefly before traveling further down the paths of life. At each stop, we brush against others' lives, hoping to win another companion for the, German. the journey. The ever-ticking clock of time persists, and seconds pass. Before we realize it, our parking meters run out of time. and So we gather our belongings and say our goodbyes, and once again remind ourselves of our destination. We are only temporary parts of this world. We may occupy houses and attend jobs, but the houses will eventually deteriorate, and the jobs and security will come and go. We we have a higher calling. Our hope is not in establishing the most satisfying salary and setting up house in the most beautiful home. For a Christian, these achievements are mere rest stops along the highway of eternity." We pull over, refill our tanks, run into strangers behind fast food lines and gas pumps before heading out to the next stop several miles down the road. Our destiny is heaven, for there we are citizens. There our houses will not crumble, and our worship will never lose its place on the job market. There is where where our most precious and priceless treasures lie. There is where we belong. The logical conclusion, Peter says, abstain from sinful desires. Deny, give up, discipline, abandon, run from, sacrifice. And when we get home, we will collapse into our Savior's arms and place the souvenirs from our journey at His feet. He will embrace them in delight. We will no longer live as rugged travelers, but as children in the glorious kingdom of our Father. And after falling on our faces in worship, we will look back and realize that the journey was well worth it. Father, take our temporary lives and produce something permanent. That's what Moses prayed. And in closing, lessons for our life, and we'll be done. Number one, this year, 2011, let me encourage everyone here. Anchor. Yourself in the Lord. For here we have no fixed home. He is our dwelling place. He is the golden gate of his people of all ages. Dwell in him. Live in him. Number two. Ask the Lord Jesus to teach you the difficult math of numbering your days. That's wisdom. Say, well, I wasn't very good at algebra. And long division threw me. (coughs) Lord, I want to get this math course down. Let me realize there's an expiration date. It's already determined. And let me live in light of it. And love you and serve you increasingly all the days of my life. Number three. Even in our trouble-filled world, and there is our world is trouble-filled. We finish our years with a sigh, remember? It is only the Lord Jesus who can satisfy our souls, even with a song. Hmm. Even with a song. It is only Him. He fills our heart with gladness and joy. Number four, ask the Lord to give you his favor and pray your favor upon your loved ones and your church family and those around you. I do that every single day. God has promised to bless when we bless that way. Look at number six, where the Levitical blessing there. God said to Aaron, Pray this upon, uh, in this benediction, upon my people, and I will bless them and favor them. And so I want to take advantage of that and pray for that every day. Pray, Lord, take something of this temporary, brief, frail life of mine that will last forever. And the same thing is true of my loved ones in my church and those I love and know. And finally, number five and last, today is the day of salvation. The door is open. Someday it'll be closed. It'll be too late. It will. The door will shut, and you can't come in. No purgatory. There's none of that. Today is the day. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ today. He paid the only price for sin. He gives you the gift of righteousness. It's a gift that makes you acceptable before holy God. Receive him today as Savior. Time in a bottle. I'll tell you, that's one way to have a best-selling song. Have a plane crash after you sing it, and everybody run out and buy her, and they did, and our generation did. How many of you know that song, Time in a Bottle? Look at that. I could have had you guys sing it. Huh? No, Hans? No. Well, the Lord help us. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father.